Welcome to the Smart Sign Podcast, a series at the intersection of safety, transportation, and e-commerce. For more information or to find some of the products discussed in our show, visit smartsign.com. We're here with Carrie Goldman, adoption and parenting blogger for chicagonow.com and author of recently published book, Bullied, What Every Parent, Teacher, and Kid Needs to Know About Ending the Cycle of Fear. She is also a renowned realist painter and the founder of Artwork by Carrie. She lives in Evanston, Illinois with her husband and three children. Today, we are going to discuss bullying as a national epidemic extending beyond the playground and into many facets of our society and Carrie's personal experience as an anti-bullying advocate. Thanks for joining us today, Carrie. Thank you for having me. In your book, Bullied, you explain how you unexpectedly became a voice in the anti-bullying community after writing a blog post. Yeah, would, would you like to hear the, the short version of that crazy story? Yeah, I would love to hear how it unfolded. Okay, so my daughter, Katie, um, when she was starting first grade, she was, she was a huge Star Wars fan. She still is. And she went with me to Target to pick out her um, lunchbox, backpack, all that. And she picked out um, Star Wars water bottle and Star Wars backpack. And she was very excited every day to go to school and, and bring it. And then there came a day in um, November, this was in 2010, when she told me she didn't want to bring her Star Wars water bottle anymore. And it set off my parental radar because it seemed odd. It was a change in her behavior without mm -hmm. a good explanation. And when I pressed her about it, she started to cry. And she told me that the boys were surrounding her at lunch and at recess and at her locker. And they were making fun of her and telling her that girls can't like Star Wars and that it's only for boys. And so I wrote an article about what was happening for my blog for Portrait of an Adoption. Mm -hmm. And the response was just nothing short of astonishing. Um, people from around the world sent Katie messages of support and um, wrote about it and, you know, told her it was okay to like what you like and be who you are. And it was, it was so unbelievable that I started researching bullying in our culture because everyone who wrote a message of support to Katie talked about their own experiences with having been teased or taunted. And so I decided to do a little research into why we still have so much bullying in our culture and, and you know, what we can do about it. And that's what became the foundation for the book. Based on a gendered issue, correct? Yes, with, with it started Katie. with a gendered issue. And so is, is the, through your research, is it more thematic that this bullying come from uh, more from boys than it does from girls? Um, no, bullying comes pretty equally, but it happens in different ways. Okay. Um, girls tend to do more of what you see, the mean girl syndrome. There's, it's a little more underhanded. Um, there's more rumors. There's more relational aggression, um, you know, more aggressive exclusion, mm -hmm. whereas with boys you will see more of the physical bullying, you know, the, the hitting and the um, using physical aggression to intimidate. And so although both both genders bully, they, they, it manifests in different ways. You also highlight that bullying starts in the first grade when children are more cognizant. It actually cognizant. starts before that. <laughs> yeah, oh, it doesn't it really? Okay. It, it, that was the title of my, of my blog post at the um, – at the time that I wrote about Katie, but in learning about bullying, bullying really can start almost as soon as children are old enough to develop opinions. And children who who grew up in houses 
with parents who are, um, you know, very dismissive or who carry strong stereotypes about other people, the children will pick up on that. And even as, as young as in preschool, we will see children um, acting in bullying ways around other peers. So it, it, it really starts as soon as they can learn to talk. Would you say there's common characteristics of bullies? Well, with children who, who act as bullies, you know, it is not uncommon to find that they come from families where they have parents or, or siblings who act as bullies. Um, it, it, it is a learned behavior. So I don't know if I would say bullying is genetic, but certainly behavior is, is learned. And um, if you're being raised in a house where, for example, the style of discipline that's used is very authoritarian, um, you know, very military style of, of raising people, then those kids are more prone to, to act aggressively in response to that. Sure. Um, and so we see that, you know, parent and parenting styles and teaching styles do have an effect on bullying. There's also um, a lot of associations between bullying and different psychological profiles. So uh, a child who, there was a study that was done and it showed that children who were classified as bullies were at elevated risk later in their lives for um, antisocial disorders mm-hmm. or anxiety or depression. And for children who were um, victimized later in life, they were at elevated risk for anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorders, and depression. You also, along with that, mentioned that, that scans have shown that bullying actually damages brain function and alters uh, brain function. It does. There have been brain scans that show that when you are victimized, the repetitive bullying starts to change the way that your brain functions. And you lose the ability to, um, to interpret situations down the road that might not be hostile as, as safe. And you start feeling threatened even by the smallest of, of actions or confrontations. And so one of the many people I interviewed for the book explained to me that um, as a result of having been severely bullied, he had a, a post-traumatic stress syndrome. And at, in the workplace, if anyone ever questioned his work, even though it was a natural thing to do, his response was to clam up and freeze and become paralyzed with fear. And he perceived it as he was being attacked because his brain no longer was able to differentiate between, you know, regular normal questioning and someone taunting him. Recent accounts of workplace bullying, such as a book written by a former Goldman Sachs executive who recanted how he was victimized starting out as an intern, uh, promote another form of anti-bullying awareness. Are there any other specific segues from bullying in childhood to bullying in the workplace? Sure. A lot of people um, take take the approach to bullying of telling a bullying victim to just fight back, you know, just fight back harder and mm-hmm. and then the bullying will stop. And whereas there are some cases where someone might be able to fight back and, you know, overcome the bully and then the bully backs off, that doesn't show a rich appreciation for the dynamics of most bullying relationships. In most bullying relationships, the person who's being picked on is really honestly almost paralyzed by fear, fear of reporting what's happening, fear of retaliation, fear of 
drawing further ire from the bully. And so instead of being able to, to quote, fight back, Mm -hmm. um, they just ride it out in silence and suffer. And we see that continuing into the workplace, that same type of response. And so what happens is people who are being bullied in the workplace are usually so frightened of retaliation or frightened of um, the workplace coming out and just blaming the victim that they're less likely to make a report. Uh, there's a group called the Workplace Bullying Institute, which does a great amount of research into workplace bullying, and they are trying to help change that culture of, of blaming the victim and um, trying to make it more acceptable for employees to actually voice it when it's happening and find someone to help them. And, you know, it's that same message that we have to teach with kids starting young is that it's not a bad thing to report it, that you should not live in fear of retaliation. And for the people who are doing the bullying, that they should not assume that they can just get away with it, intimidating into silence their victims. So promoting a culture that is aware of the real effects of bullying as children are growing up is a collaborative effort. Right. There are a couple different things. When you're faced with bullying, it's not a solution that comes from any one party. You can't tell the victim, stand up for yourself and assume the problem will be Mm -hmm. done. And you can't tell the bully, we need to teach you empathy and assume the problem will be done. And you can't tell the schools, well, you have to do a better job of watching out for it and the bullying will be done. It comes from all of these places. It all has to work together. It's a collaborative effort and and a cultural one too. Kids get messages of aggression, um, you know, from the media, from their music, from the reality TV shows that teach them that the best way to get ahead is to throw someone under the bus. So, Everyone has to work together, and but there, an important component of that is trying to provide the child who's being targeted with mm-hmm. some strategies to use in the moment that the the aggression is happening. And to that effect, there are different strategies you can use when you're being verbally taunted, um, things you can say, things you can do to try and comfort yourself, to try and put, you know, turn it around, take the power from the bully. There, there's um, a great book by Judy Friedman called Easing the Teasing. And I worked with her and spoke with her um, to incorporate some of those strategies into the book that I wrote, which is bullied what every parent, teacher, and kid needs to know about ending the cycle of fear. And some of the strategies can be used by very young children. It can be something as simple as agreeing with the teaser. And by agreeing with the teaser, I mean... That if somebody, you know, is picking on a child and saying, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat. If the child is has a comfortable self-image and knows that they're a larger child, then the kid might be able to say, you're right, I'm overweight, but I'm a great person. You know, you're right, I'm a bigger kid, but I know that I'm a great person. And if that's the reaction that the bully gets instead of the kid crying or tremoring in fear or running away, um, it often will kind of stop the bully in his or her path because the power imbalance is taken away. If you, if someone's saying to you, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat, and your response is, well, I'm bigger, but I'm great, you, they're not getting a reaction from you that's going to feed into them continuing to torture you, and they'll, they'll walk away. But an important step when you, when you do this thing, this agreeing with the teaser, is you have to be quite comfortable and confident with who you are 
to be able to do that without it making you feel bad. And that's why we try and teach kids um, cognitive restructuring, which is where you take the statement that someone is throwing at you and you say to yourself, okay, this kid who's telling me I'm fat is trying to make me feel bad, but what I know is that he or she is simply choosing to be mean, and I am a good person, and I'm doing nothing wrong here, and I don't deserve this, and I'm not to blame for this, and I'm just living my life, and I, you know, I know that what's happening isn't a reflection of who I am. So the kids have to be able to first, you know, talk themselves through the situation so that they can reach comfort where they can then respond to the taunter. Having a quality line of support is important for victimized children, certainly at home, uh, to understand that they themselves aren't to blame for being bullied. Right. And, and, and it's interesting, actually, that you mentioned the importance of the home, because there is no way to stress how important it is for the child to get acceptance at home. Uh, studies show that the children who are most at risk of taking their own lives when they're being bullied are the kids who are not only being bullied at school, but don't feel that they're being accepted at home. So if you have a child, um, and this is a very common uh, sad outcome in the gay and lesbian uh, community, where if you have a child that has been rejected by his or her family because they are not comfortable accepting their child's differences, and then that child is also being rejected at the school community or by society, those are the kids who then are at elevated risk for feeling hopeless and like they have nothing. If you have a child who is being ostracized at school for being different, but at home they're getting messages of support and love and strength, those kids do much better. I'd like to hear more about cyberbullying, which is becoming more, uh, much more prevalent as technology becomes integrated in youth culture. You see that there is at least one, or one out of four children uh, being victimized online. Yes, cyberbullying is by far the new biggest issue because cyberbullying takes bullying and ratchets it up a notch. It makes the mean people meaner, and it takes the people who may never have been the mean people before and hides them behind a cloak of anonymity and makes them feel like they can be mean. So what you have essentially is a situation where Let's say 50 years ago, a group of kids was picking on a girl. Uh, maybe a couple people were calling her a mean name, a slut, for example. There might be some kids standing around watching, and that's all they would do is watch. Now what happens is you have some kids see people start writing something like that on a girl's Facebook page, and then 500 additional people go to her page and also write it, people who 50 years ago may not have dared say something like that to someone's face are now hiding behind their computer screen and writing it. So then you have the children who are being bullied and they go to their Facebook page and they see just hundreds of messages and vicious messages from people and they feel completely overwhelmed and they feel like there's no end to it, like there's no out to it. And so cyberbullying is a very intense phenomenon where people just kind of hop on that bandwagon it really speaks to sort of the worst part of, of human nature. And, um, and for a kid who, whose entire social life is why they live and exist. I mean, when we're talking about teenagers, you know, they, they live for their social connections. So if they are being um, attacked through those social connections, it can feel truly like life-ending. 
And, and what kind of strategies can we employ to combat cyberbullying? Well, there's a lot, actually, that can be done. There are a lot of things. There's, I kind of look at it as a two-step thing. There are the things you can do to prevent becoming involved in cyberbullying. So that's the first wave of, of mm-hmm. actions. And then there are the wave of actions you take if it's already happened and you're being cyberbullied, and what do you do to make it stop? In, in the preventative phase, um, one of the things parents can do, well, there's a lot, is encourage your children never, ever, ever to share their passwords uh, with their friends or with anyone they're dating because kids have breakups, friendship breakups as well as as relationship and romantic breakups. And when someone has your password, they are, they're in a position where they can impersonate you, they can hack into your account, they can do things on your behalf that you wouldn't have done. And a lot of cyberbullying starts off when a, a kid has, you know, a frenemy or someone who decides that they want to get back at them for something. Um, you also encourage your kids never, ever, ever to talk to strangers online about sex because anything that you write or say or do online is replicable. And, you know, you may send one photo, one text of, of yourself in a compromising position to a boyfriend or write one line about another person in a private Facebook message, but anything can be copied and pasted. So we tell kids, if there's something that's truly private, don't use a social media site to get that message to someone. Tell someone in person, because once it's been written down, it's out there. There is no true delete button. It's it's very hard to erase a mistake online. Um, so people need to be a little more um, protective of, of themselves. We tell parents that they should be allowed to monitor their children's usage. You know, you should be friends with your kid on Facebook. You should see, you should be able to verify that they're friends with real people. Um, And you should be able to have access to an Internet browser and see what sites your kid has been visiting. Put parental controls on the computer. It's very normal and natural for kids to be curious about things like sex. It's very normal and natural for them to look look it up on Google. When we were all little, I'm sure that everyone looked in the dictionary and looked up the word sex. But now they can go to the computer and type it in, and you'll have eight or nine or ten-year-olds who can encounter things that are very inappropriate for them. So parents have to, you know, monitor their computers better. And it doesn't have to be Big Brother. It, it can be, you know, a very open, acknowledged situation. I don't think parents should sneak around behind their kids. I think that they should say to them, look, the computer is a privilege, but the fact is that you can come into contact with things that we believe are harmful. And so we want you to know we're going to be checking. You don't want your child to feel like you don't trust them, but at the same time, you want them to know that you're monitoring. So, you know, these are all preventative steps you you take uh, along the way. What should you do if if your child is already being cyberbullied? If it's too late, if your child is already being cyberbullied, what you have to do first and foremost is collect evidence because most schools or police stations or, you know, administrations at work cannot do anything unless they have proof of and evidence that it's happened. So what you do is if, if your child has something horrible being written on their Facebook wall or if your child is receiving vicious text messages, take a screenshot of them, you know, save them and print them, but then delete it. 
delete it because no, no kid should have to keep looking at that. Block and ban. Block people from coming back to your page. Ban users. Report users who are abusing a social networking site. You know, once you have that evidence, if you can send an email to the administrator of a site and you can attach, you know, a file that has pictures of what's been said to your child, there's a good chance you can get um, one of these social networking sites to, to ban a user who's being abusive. If your school isn't taking it seriously, you can go to the police. It's illegal. It's an illegal thing to, to um, harass and, and intimidate someone through the computer. So, but, and, and the final most important thing that you have to do is you have to give your child the message that everyone makes mistakes and it's okay. The worst case scenarios happen when a child makes a mistake online. Uh, this happened um, with this girl in Canada, this 15-year-old girl. She, put a, she flashed someone online and then he started blackmailing her and he made a website with the photos and she was frightened. And instead of going to her parents and saying, well, you know, I, I made this mistake and now it's blowing up, she just kept concealing because she was afraid to tell. And so the situation got worse and worse and worse and it blew up and blew up and blew up and she ultimately did take her life. And so what we want to tell the kids is, look, if you did something stupid online and now someone is trying to use it against you, please come tell us because we'd always rather you come tell us and let us help you earlier than wait until later. So it is very, very important for parents to let their kids know that we're, we're on your side. When you speak about the, the big issue of, of cyberbullying and how it poses a very, very harmful threat on, on children, we also have something that you call cyber-supporting. How, mm -hmm. how does society endorse that as, a, as an ingredient in, in combating cyberbullying and bullying in general? Cyber supporting is a really amazing phenomenon that, you know, we don't hear enough about because we're always hearing the bad news stories from the media. Cyber supporting is what happened with my, my little girl, where people from all over raced to write messages of support, to send messages of love and, and um, you know, empathy and concern when they heard about what was happening. And there are other sites that are specifically cyber supporting sites. There's the It Gets Better site, um, Dan Savage's site for um, kids who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, where thousands and thousands and thousands of people have uploaded YouTube messages just saying, hang in there, you know, it's going to get better. There are a lot of great cyber supporting sites for people who are suffering from illnesses, people who um, are members of, of, a, of a group that might be more marginalized in society. Um, and so what you do is you just seek, you seek out people who will help you. You go into a community, you find a community of people who are like you, who have similar interests as you do so that you don't feel ostracized. And in cyber supporting, you find a way to connect to each other. You know, you have your listservs, you have your email groups, you, you make pages. There's many, many cyber supporting type groups on Facebook, you know, great, wonderful groups where people come together for the sole purpose of buffing each other up instead of trying to tear each other down. And as, as a parent, you know, none of these groups are, are monitored. So if, 
it's certainly a place where you you want to check in if your child is part of a cyber supporting group because like with anything in society there are people who would who are potentially stalkers of preying on someone's weakness by finding a site like that and pretending um, to be a member when you're not so you know if your child meets anyone through a cyber supporting site um, I think it's worth always checking out because they are fine um, that the person is who they say they are and all of that but the, there are ways for people to connect and feel a sense of belonging through the internet that they can turn those into real lasting in-person friendships uh, that make a real difference. I understand that it's difficult for some schools to deal with cyberbullying. However, are schools now emphasizing cyber supporting as well? Well, schools, there are a number of sites out there that schools can be part of, and I list them in my in my book in one of the chapters about um, media and technology. Schools as a whole can create safe um, social networking groups for their school, uh, for kids where they're provided with a logon and a password, and it's you know um, there's a moderator, and kids can sort of practice safe social networking. Uh, interactions. So schools are doing that, but like you said, not every school has access to technology. Most schools block um, sites like Facebook or Twitter for the purpose of not having kids distracted during education. Um, But schools, I believe that every school now has a duty to teach children about safe internet usage. I believe that it, it should be part of the curriculum like anything else in school. Our kids are going to spend hours and hours and hours of their lives on the Internet. And just alongside teaching them their sums and their math and their diagramming sentences and second language, we need to teach them the language of of, of computer literacy. And so schools can get involved in that. Even if you don't have um, widespread computer access, you can, you can still have discussions with children about about the computer and about how it can be a wonderful place and how it can be a dangerous place. And, and beyond beyond cyberbullying, what what role are schools playing in combating uh, bullying on the playground and beyond? Well, every school is different. Um, one of one of the things that's complicated about anti-bullying is that there's no one you know national approach to it, and so each school has to assess for itself what's going on. But schools are, by and large, taking a keen interest in this. And there are a number of very good, strong research-based programs out there. Um, and I listed them, programs like PBIS, like the Olseas program, like Second Steps, Steps to Respect. There, there are programs out there for schools to use. A lot of schools are taking an approach uh, where they start with social emotional learning and teaching social emotional skills to kids. And that's a great way to start, particularly in the early grades, and just talking about empathy, talking about feelings about people who are different. A lot of schools use things like like PDIS, which is positive behavior intervention and supports, where there are different tiers of intervention and um, children who prove to be more at risk for um, bullying activities or more at risk for being targeted receive more structured and individualized psychological care, but the school as a whole still participates in um, school-wide activities. A lot of these whole school approaches, which were pioneered by Dan Oveas, 
are a great way to involve the community. But a word of, of, um, of advice about school programs is that your school can say it has an anti-bullying program, and it really will not mean anything unless the teachers and the parents and the principal live those values day-to-day in their classrooms. So just saying that you have an anti-bullying policy does not at all mean that your school won't have bullying. The way to reduce bullying in your school is for your teachers to buy into it and to believe in it and to believe that there's no acceptance around blaming the victim. You have to have a place where when a teacher witnesses cruelty, they stop and they call it out. Um, You have to have a school that knows that the bullying tends to happen at recess or at lunch or in the halls during the unmonitored times and places, and that the school takes pains to um, put more connected individuals into the halls or have more connected people watching what's going on at recess and at lunch. The school has to live the anti-bullying values day by day. At SmartSign, customers come to our No Bullying Signs looking for reminders to promote bully-free environments, such as in schools. What do you think the the efficacy of No Bullying Signs as a part of a larger campaign to build awareness is? And and as an artist as well, um, are there certain types of of art or legends that you believe can be used to combat bullying? I think that having a sign, putting it out there, is a great start because it kind of just – it puts people on alert that, hey, this is a safe place. You know, this is not where this is accepted. But I think that for people to regard the sign with any credibility, you have to then make sure that the people who work there are on board with follow-up. So, you know, you don't want a situation where you've got a beautiful sign that says, you know, kindness rules, no bullying here. And then all the parents say, well, yeah, but when we make a report of it, the teacher or the principal says nothing. Um, so, you you know, there's that bit of due diligence of saying to someone, hey, this is great that you're going to buy this sign. What what else do you have in place? You know, it, it would be awesome if you could have a, on your website even a link to, you know, information, research, programs for schools or workplaces so that when they buy a sign that says no bullying allowed, they can also provide their employees or their students with, you know, a link to some information about what to do, for example, how to turn from a bystander into a witness, how to turn into an ally, you know, steps to take if you witness bullying, back up the sign with some actionable items. We really appreciate your insight on how our society and as a company here at SmartSign can impact anti-bullying efforts on a communal level. Thanks again, Carrie, for your time today and sharing your inspiring story with us. Thank you so very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Smart Sign Podcast. For more, please visit our website at smartsign.com.